Welcome to another edition of Making Money, the podcast with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. Ron, we've been talking, and this is our third part now on, on a retirement strategy. You've had an investment portfolio. You want to know how to most efficiently make it work. You've done all the considerations about when I'm going to retire, how much money I need to live on. Do we prioritize the sources my income should come from when we get there? Absolutely. You should look as a starting point at your life expectancy. Retirees who are older and don't anticipate a long life expectancy might want to consider increasing the amount of withdrawals from the registered plans if they have a large residual in them. Because what happens is if you pass and your spouse passes, then the RSP, for example, will get deregistered and all that will go into taxable income in the year that you pass, which can be an enormous amount of money and expose you to 48% taxes. So if one thing you want to look at is what you anticipate your life expectancy, and I know that's a bit of a mugs game, but if you're going to live a long period of time, then maybe take more money out of your investment account and lower down the amount you're taking out of your registered accounts because it's generally going to be taxes income interest income and have higher tax so you want to take a look at at how long you expect both you collectively and your spouse to live and that will help you decide where the money will come from do we take a look to it at the tax brackets that we're in now like if you're if somebody's in a higher tax bracket and the spouse is in a lower tax bracket that's a consideration too Exactly. Now, you can split pension income to reduce tax on the higher earning spouse. Also, you can start taking withdrawals from the RSP of the lower income spouse to defer tax on the higher income spouse's RSP withdrawals and use that as a later time. Uh, you You can structure your investments so you're taking more income out. If you have a corporation, for example, and uh, you've lent money to that corporation, it's called a shareholder's loan, and you can generally take that money out tax-free. So you generally want to look at the tax bracket, your current tax bracket of both you and your spouse, and obviously try to split your income and try to take money from sources that attract the least taxable profile as possible. And I guess, you know, looking at that going forward, you should think about your tax brackets too, right? Exactly. And and here again, this is a good place to have a discussion with your financial planner, your accountant. Uh, typically, if you have an investment account at one of the major firms, they have financial planners that you can, they'll refer to you, that you can use. And not only it's important to be able to harvest where you're going to pay the lowest taxes today, but build a plan for the next five or 10 years where the best sources of that income are to come from. And of course, these financial planners often have some pretty good software nowadays that they can uh, put all the facts into the program and it'll crunch out a nice strategy for you based on uh, your tax bracket and income differentials that you have and help you build a plan. Now, typically, if you're doing that, I recommend every three to five years you go in and redo that because things every, change. every budget you have tax changes. Yeah. So, And some of them can really impact retirees. So it's not a one and we're done. 
go back and redo them on a regular basis. One of the things we talked about, and you mentioned, you know, part of your retirement is if you are eligible and you've paid into the Canada Pension Plan and there's OAS. OAS has this thing called a clawback. Remember the first time I heard about that, my brother-in-law told me about the evil of the clawback. Uh, it's not necessarily an evil because it's it's really designed to supplement people's income. And if you're in a sufficient income bracket, you don't really have the need for OAS, but it's something you should build into your plan, right? The Canada Pension Plan is money that you put in. And right now, the maximum CPP benefit is $1,154 per month. Old age security is designed as a safety net. It's designed where if the income you have at retirement isn't high enough to get you to a certain standard, they'll give you a supplement. And the maximum OES right now is $601 per month. Now, if your income exceeds $77,580 per year, you start getting it clawed back. And it's clawed back sequentially until you get to $125,696. At that point, the government feels like you don't need you're it good. anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're gold. And uh, so all your OAS is clawed back. Now, one thing you can do is there's software on the market that's frankly free. Uh, Sun Life has some software. It's at www.sunware.ca, and it has a calculator that helps you look at and figure out how much income you can get from other sources and what that will do to the clawback of the OAS. So if you're playing around with income, especially if you have the type of income that you don't have to take this year and you want to see what it does, well, that software is actually very easy to use, and it'll help you determine what the clawback is, how much the clawback will be. And it's just a good source of place to go if you want to try and maximize your old age security. As I was getting closer to retirement, I know one of the, the raging debates that I had with, with different friends and family and things was, when do you go after the Canada pension? When should you take your Canada pension? And I, I suppose it's really an individual choice, isn't it? Also, here again, it's a, it's, it's a longevity consideration. And the optimum time to start taking Canada Pension Plan, for example, if you start taking in Canada Pension Plan at 60 versus 65, because the longer you withhold taking it, the more it goes up. So your break-even point is 74. So if you start taking it five years early, you've got a big advantage. But at 65, your payout's about 40% more. So the break-even is 74 years of age. If you start taking it at 65 years of age versus 70, and at 70 you've got to start taking it, the break-even is 78 years old. So if you don't need it and have a long life expectancy, don't take it early. Okay. Now, we should see a financial planner. All of these things we've been talking about, everybody, you know, not everybody has a financial planner. They figure, oh, I can figure this out on my own. But somebody who's a professional can really see a lot of things that you have no knowledge of. And typically, I find that spending a little bit of time with a professional is extraordinarily helpful. I know every year I take some time to go sit down with my accountant and talk about some of the things I should be doing in the future. And I find that the tax savings I get from spending a little bit of extra time getting that professional advice, and I know a fair bit about tax, but he knows a lot more about tax than I do. And, and frankly, spending some time with him discussing where 
I think my life is going and how my income is going to unfold in the coming years. He'll give me some advice, and it's usually about things I hadn't thought of and some advice that, frankly, I'll save a lot more money by spending uh, money with him than I do by... Um, not, not taking that advice. Not yeah. Ta- yeah, absolutely, not taking that advice. So, frankly, I find taking advice from somebody who really knows what they're doing is extraordinarily cost-effective. Well, you made a good point here just a few moments ago, too, because every year when a budget comes out, there's always something in the Tax Act that gets changed. So it's always nice to stay abreast of those changes. Yeah, and figure out what strategies you can need to do to take advantage of them. So now there are some other additional considerations that we want to talk about here before we wrap up this, this uh, series on retirement. The possibility of selling your home has to enter this equation for some people. Too many financial plans are made without taking your home into consideration because your home is an asset. Now, if you're lucky, you'll be one of those people that bought your home 60 years ago and uh, they're going to cart you off because you're going to pass away in your rocking chair with a glass of single malt scotch (laughs) looking out the window. But... For most people, that doesn't happen. They end up going into some kind of retirement facility, and that can cost more money. So when you're doing your financial plan, I always say that the life expectancy for a male is about 82. For a woman, it's about 85. So plan to use your portfolio and live off your portfolio till you're 82 or 85. And if you exhaust it, then sell your home. If you've got a home that's four or $500,000 and you're 84 or 85 years old, that half a million bucks is going to give you all the money you need to take you to um, through the, your last stage of retirement. People forget to review the amount they're leaving for their family. They, we've talked about this. We touched on it briefly. That's something you should take a look at as well. Yeah, and frankly, if you don't need to give your family any money, unless you want to be very gracious, and if you find yourself a little tight here again, Spend it on yourself, and you want to make sure that you've got enough to look after yourself, but you also, uh, often you'll find that your kids just don't end up needing the money, and that's resources that you could use in your final years, especially if your medical costs go up. Now, what about front-end loading your retirement spending? What are you talking about there? Too many people make retirement plans that are static. In other words, we're going to take the same amount of money out every year adjusted for inflation, and that amount's going to stay static till I turn 85 or 90, however long you do your plan for. But unfortunately, how you spend your money doesn't actually mesh with your plan. Most people have what I call the optimum health window of 10 to 15 years after they retire at 60 to 65. This means that If you've got things that are on your bucket list that require mobility and stamina and dollars to do, that you want to put them at the beginning of your retirement. So let's say you want to take a bicycle trip through France and uh, go wine tasting, or you've got, uh, you want to take a flight and land on the Antarctica, or you want to fly fish, or you want to learn to play grand piano, or whatever you want to do. Often, many of those things are going to require your health to do it. So when you're retiring, preload some of those expenses into the early part of your retirement plan so you're spending less as you go along, like most people do anyways, so that you've got the resources at the beginning of your retirement to do all those things in your bucket list that you want to do. And I would egg you on to talk to your uh, retirement planner 
your accountant or whoever is doing your financial plan for you and ask them to build a little bit more into your first year so you can do all those things that you want to do. All right. Now, you also make a note here about if you're taking money from an RSP or a RIF, one way to offset the potential climate tax brackets from the extra income is to increase charitable donations. During the year, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what your income is. If you've got some unexpected capital gains, if you have a RIF and you have a minimum withdrawal that you've had to take out, um, there's all kinds of other variables that go into that calculation of figuring out how, exactly how much income you're going to have for the year. And so typically what happens is, is I give donations throughout the year, but at the end of the year, if I find I'm going to be up in a higher tax level and I need uh, a certain amount of money to drop me into a lower tax level, that's what donations are really, really good for. You can help, they can help you because they're tax deductible to get yourself into a lower tax bracket. And you look at the tax brackets these days, combined federal and provincial, in some of the brackets, you're moving up 6% by just making a couple of dollars more. In some of the higher brackets, it drops to 3%. But, you know, you, you look at paying an extra 3 or maybe even 6% more tax, the charitable contributions can almost pay for themselves by doing that. Interesting philosophy there, one that you should be taking a look at. Final point we have here is to increase your income, consider spending some of your principal and not just the income that your portfolio is, is producing. Don't forget that money tends to be a motivator for financial plans. And if you're an advisor, there is pressure to keep that money invested and as much money invested for as long a period as you possibly can. I'm not saying anybody that everybody's doing this, but there is the temptation to make sure that you keep all of your money in the account, invested for as long as possible, and you only live off the proceeds of your income. But what I suggest is that, frankly, if you only have so much in the way of resources, you drain your portfolio down to zero between your retirement and the mid-80s, then you sell your home, move into a smaller place, and use the proceeds for the rest of your retirement. So for example, if you had a portfolio of half a million dollars that earn 5% a year, well the math says that you're going to make $25,000 per year in income and if you earn 5% you should be able to do that indefinitely. Now if your portfolio earned 5% per year and you drained it down to zero, your principal down to zero over 30 years, that would allow you to spend $32,525 per year. So that is 30% more than just living off the interest. And like I say, I have never met anybody who's called me from the other side, collect and say, send me my money. You ain't taking it with you, so spend some of it, even if it means spending your principal, because adding, in this example, 30% more to your cash flow means that you can do a lot of things, especially early in your retirement when you've got that health window to do so. I heard an expression years ago, and I've used it ever since I heard it, and I don't remember where I heard it for the first time. But, you know, the old saying is, well, you can't take it with you unless they take traveler's checks. <laughs> well, there you go. Three parts on retirement. The question came to us from Danny, who is getting to retire in the not-too-distant future, and wondered if he'd made enough plans, the correct plans, if he had enough money to manage his retirement and live comfortably. 
So hopefully we've cleared up some of that confusion for him and some of that confusion for you. As we say, we really do recommend you talk to a financial advisor and get some expert advice on this. But there's a little bit more info for you to work with as relates to retirement. Thanks to the financial coach, Ron Hebert, former portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening to Making Money. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.